Hey guys, welcome back. Today I am joined with coaches Webb and Coach Dempster from West, West Point. How are you guys doing today? Doing really well. Yeah, I'm doing well. All right, so, so we're just a little bit before practice, and uh, so we're taking the opportunity just to, you know, have this conversation. It's cool. Well, I appreciate you guys being on. I'm excited, and um, hopefully this won't seem too forced, or, you know, if it does, we can just turn it kind of back into a normal conversation, and if y'all have any questions, just let me know. Okay. So the first question I have for you guys is less of a question and more of just kind of an introduction. I want each of you to go through and kind of talk to us about how you got started in rifle, how you got to West Point and kind of go from there. Okay. So, um, I kind of grew up in the sport. My dad shot, um, he was the coach at the Naval Academy for like throughout the seventies and the eighties. So, and even, even before that, um, you know, he's, he's a competitive shooter. Um, so I don't remember a time when I wasn't around competitive shooting. Like since, like my earliest memories are going to the range. Um, family vacation was always Camp Perry. I'll put up with it, but uh, she did. Um, and then, you know, just, uh, you know, sort of this became the sport for me. After a while, I played soccer and lacrosse and baseball and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, shooting was the thing. Um, went on to college at West Virginia. Um, shot with the team there for, you know, the, the time being. Went through ROTC. Was commissioned. Went to uh, Army Marksmanship Unit for about five and a half years. And then went on and just did normal Army stuff. Um, I, I really got away from shooting after that. Um, you know, I really didn't think I was going to get back into it at all, but my very last job in the army was here at West Point. And so I became an officer representative for the team. And then about the time, um, you know, I was going to retire from the army after about 24 years, the job opened up, I applied and I was fortunate enough to get the job. And so this is our, my seventh season here. Oh, that's awesome. Layton, how about you? Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, I did not start as a child. I wish that I would have. Um, I started shooting in high school in 4-H, actually. So I shot sporter and then transitioned to precision. Um, and I mean, as you know, Harley, I went to college at the University of Memphis. Um, yeah. we were there, so it was really fun to get to compete against each other doing that. Um, but after I graduated, got the assistant coach job at West Point, and I've been here for know those three years so I'm a young coach but really love working with the cadets and the team and I think me being so recently out of the sport helps just relate to the things that they're going through yeah absolutely so Layton you are from the south the south south Hammond Louisiana I think if I have that correct so tell me if I'm wrong but it probably wasn't that big of an adjustment going from Hammond to Memphis right weather-wise no food-wise but moving up there was a huge culture shock for me. Okay, okay. Do you think it was more of a culture shock going from Hammond to Memphis or Memphis to West Point? I think it'd be pretty easy because um, I grew up in a really small town in Louisiana. It's actually just outside of Hammond called LaRanger. Um, and Memphis is not a small town. Um, right. It's the biggest small city I've ever been in. Um, and then moving up here kind of got back to those rural areas. Like we're only an hour from New York City, but it's not like we have skyscrapers or big buildings around us. The Hudson Valley is 
is definitely a place that feels like home. So it wasn't a culture shock there. Just they don't season their food very well up here. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I guess it's very well seasoned in, in Louisiana. Yeah, but I take care of the cadets. I always make sure I cook some some good Creole food for them. We had gumbo a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, so Layton, uh, you know, is from down in Cajun land, and I grew up on the Chesapeake Bay. So we're constantly having a fight over Cajun seasoning versus Old Bay, and whether you the way you should do it is steam your crabs, they boil them down there. So we uh, we're constantly having that little argument. Well, at least the cadets are getting a wide range of food and they're learning about different different areas of food because I guess if they're all from the same place or I don't know exactly where your cadets are from, but if they're from similar places, then they might not know what food in Louisiana tastes like and how well you guys season them. So they're, so, they're actually from all over. We've got them from everywhere from Oregon State down to Georgia, uh, Pennsylvania, Florida. I mean, so, I mean, it is it is every bit across the entire country. So. I think that's something that I love so much about the sport of rifle because you literally come from, there's so few schools that have rifle teams that you literally have to go all over the United States and you have athletes from everywhere. And I love that so much. Like I love traveling and I love getting to hear about people's, people's homes. Like my roommate in college, Randy Loudon, she's from Idaho. And I honestly was like, I've, I will have never met somebody else from Idaho in my entire life if I didn't, wasn't on a sports team in college and specifically rifle. So it was, yeah, it's awesome that people come from all over. Okay, so we're gonna talk a little bit about West Point specifically and y'all's range and just kind of NCAA divisions and things like that. So tell us about your range. First of all, is it on or off campus? How many lanes do you guys have? Do you share it with anyone? For those listening, Layton did just have to turn around and see how many lanes there were. <laughs> okay, guys, tell us about y'all's range. Okay, so I might be biased here, but I think we have the absolute best range in the NCAA. It's huge. Um, there are actually three ranges in this indoor complex. Um, the, the official name of it is the Tronsru Marksmanship Center. Uh, it's named after the, the biggest uh, benefactor that you know put up the money to configure the range this way. Um, so we have the 50 foot small bore range, 20 firing points. We have a 20 firing point, 10 meter range that we share with the, with the pistol team. And then on the other side of the building, there's a 25 yard high caliber range that, um, it's, uh, you can shoot actually the backstops in both are rated to 50 cal. Um, it just, it's super clean. Um, put probably about $7 million into it in the last five years um, to redo all the lighting. We've got dimmable LED lighting. We've got uh, non-porous epoxy floors all over the shooting ranges. So it's super clean, super easy to, to, to clean up. Um, we've got a state-of-the-art ventilation system. Um, yeah, Megalink targets on the small bore and air gun range and then the Megat system on the other one. Um, so, I mean, we, we hosted the Warrior Game, Wounded Warrior Games in 2015, and we put uh, 62 people up on the firing line on an indoor range, uh, spread out across the three ranges. But I mean, that's that's how big it is. Um, because the range is so big, I mean, the, just the small bore and the air gun range, that's, that's 40 firing points. So 
you know, we, we don't have to move the targets back and forth. Um, you know, we don't have to move up to a different firing line. We can shoot, um, you know, we can, we can sort of flip flop the relays. So we put all the counters up on small bore first, and then, you know, we fill the firing line as much as we can. And then we have a second relay shooting air gun first, and then we swap and we're done by 1230 as opposed to, you know, like five, six o'clock, um, right. shooting two separate relays on a smaller. Um, yes. So the, the larger, you know, the, the, the 40 firing points allows us to keep a little bit larger team. Uh, right now our roster is 14. Um, and that's, that's one of the, one of the nice things when you've got a big range like this, more opportunities for the cadet athletes. Right. And that'll kind of bring me to a question here in a few minutes, but I'll go ahead and ask it. You have 14 athletes right now. Is that kind of the number that you like to keep it at? Or would you like it to be bigger, smaller? Well, that's, uh, I think, 14. And we've, we've had 15. Uh, actually, I think I had 16 one year. Um, 14 is about the most I'm really comfortable with, with two coaches. Um, you know, that's any more than that. And it's just a little bit tough to give personal attention to everybody throughout the day. Um, so yeah, I think, I think 14 is at smaller is always better. I mean, but you know, we, we've got to look at developing the depths. Um, we've got to, you know, we, when we're recruiting, we, we throw out a little bit wider nets, um, you know, just looking for, you know, more, more opportunities that, that somebody's going to catch on and, and go with it. So, right. Right. Yeah, and just one more comment about the range. It would be really nice to use it in its full capacity this year because we're hosting uh, GARP. So we don't have to have portable targets in a basketball facility or something like that. We can have it in our actual range, which is really nice. And I think the last time it was in a home range was actually at Ole Miss my freshman year of college. Yeah, so, and I could be wrong, but I think our freshman year of college, for those listening, Leighton and I started and ended college at the same time. We actually went to college about an hour and 15 minutes apart from Ole Miss and Memphis are pretty close. So um, my freshman year, I think, was definitely the last year that Gark was held at Ole Miss. And Coach Webb, you may correct us if, if I'm wrong, but Ole Miss hosted Gark for a long period of time. Is that correct? Yes, that is true. Um... I don't know exactly how many years, but I, I came down my first year as an OR in 2012 um, on that trip. And I think my first year as coach, 2015, may have been the last. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I want to say that, you know, there was like a decade-long string where, where Ole Miss hosted. Right, and I kind of like it now how different schools get to host it. I am really excited to watch you guys host it. And because like you guys said, it's, you have 20 points on each range and you, there's rooms for people to hang out in. And at least from what I can remember, and honestly, who wouldn't want to go to New York and go to Gark there? Like it's so pretty up there. I loved visiting. So that's exciting for you guys. And I know that'll be, it'll be fun for everyone else. Um, not to have to carry mega link targets halfway across the country. I think a few schools had to do that before. So I can, I couldn't imagine having to do that, but talk a little bit about, which NCAA division is your school in? And do you guys think it matters when recruiting, whether a school is division one or division two? Uh, so we're division one. Um, 
as are the other service academies, uh, Air Force and that other one that's we don't like to mention all the time. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, the Naval Academy. Um, yeah, so I, we're we're just a, a different breed. I'm not sure, you know, Division One or Two matters to the service academies because everybody that comes here is basically on a full ride thanks to the U.S. government. Um, so as far as recruiting for us, I, you know, it's a, uh, you know, it, we're kind of competing with each other when it, when it comes to that, we're basically a lot of the times looking at the same kids that are, um, you know, they, they're patriotic and, you know, they, they want to serve their country. It's just, they got to figure out, you know, which way they want to do it. Um, for other schools, you know, I, I think, you know, what, scholarships and you know that that becomes a lot bigger thing you know, division one can give like 3.6 scholarships so if you've got a you know a 10 or a 12 person roster that makes a big difference um they can only give out so much um and then you got to start looking for other ways to make that money um and i'm not I'm not entirely sure about division two um I know Division Two and Division Three get a little bit more leeway when they're they're contacting, um, you know, who they can talk to, when they can talk to them. Um, so that that gives a little bit of an advantage to the Division Two schools because um, that the timeline is, you know, kind of spread out. Um, service academies do get a couple, maybe two or three weeks time on the front end to make contacts. Um, from from the D1 school. So, you know, that's that's kind of good for us. We get, you know, kind of the first the first look at things, the first uh, ability to talk to the recruits. Right. Now that's another question I was gonna ask is is it just a few weeks before everyone else that you guys get to make contact with the athletes? Yeah, I I, I wanna say it's you know, it, it's two or four weeks, something like that. Okay. Uh, but we used to have a, a pretty big advantage. We were able to talk like the 1st of July and no one else could until school started. Um, but that was moved back. Um, so we, we still enjoy a little bit of a, you know, an, an early opportunity, but it, it's been cut by, you know, it, it, it was cut significantly. Right. So kind of on the same topic, y'all are still competing in GARC, in the GARC, uh, Great American Rifle Conference. How many matches a year do you compete against other teams who are not in your in your conference? Okay, so it, it just changes every year, really, at the opportunities. Um, this year, we're going to shoot against Ohio State. We were scheduled to shoot against Nebraska before the, the conference switch. So, you know, there's two. Um, TCU joined a try match, but that was still our yeah. conference match against yeah. Akron. So, so okay. I mean, we normally, you know, shoot two or three. Uh, there are now eight teams in the guard, so we have to shoot against those, and we have a maximum of thirteen. Um, if we tried to do thirteen, we would take up every single weekend, and I think we'd run the cadets kind of ragged. I mean, their their plates are kind of full with academics and the physical stuff and the military stuff. So we've got to plan some break time in there. Um, you know, just so we're not, you know, not running them ragged. So I think 
you know, we normally shoot for 10 or 11, and that gives us a little flexibility. If something comes up, we still have some room to fit something in. We also have to shoot the Academy or the President's Trophy match. So that's actually where we're headed this weekend to Air Force. So we'll have two matches that aren't conference matches this weekend because we have our um, All Academy and then we have our Silver Star match against Air Force on Sunday. Okay, and that's an annual thing that the Academies do, correct? Yes. It, okay. We're hosting it. We did it. Um, yeah, last year we hosted, um, we had to play to shuffle some things around because of COVID, but um, because we were sort of locked down, um, Air Force had the ability to get on um, military air and fly here. The Navy was able to drive up and do kind of a boomerang. So, you know, we, we made that happen. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the year before that, it was, here. it was here that was that one was scheduled um so yeah i mean yeah. That's really cool. now, it'll go to navy probably next year so okay i didn't know that they the academies had that match so that's really interesting speaking of covid um so i've had a few conversations with other coaches about their athletes getting an extra year of eligibility is that something that the academies were able to offer to any of their athletes or their cadets? And did any of y'all's cadets take advantage of that? No. Um, so the, the curriculum here is a pretty strict 47 month experience. Um, when you go to a service academy, you start a basic training phase in July. Um, and then you go through about six weeks of that. And then you start the academic year. Um, they're, they're on very rare occasions. Has anybody here passed? the four-year experience. Um, and, you know, consequently, you know, the, the, the course load is a little bit larger. I mean, they're, they're taking 18 to 22 credit hours a semester. Um, and that includes things like boxing and survival swimming and, um, you know, just, uh, you know, some military science type classes here and there. Um, so, yeah, we, we do not get that fifth year. Um, so it would be nice. I mean, I, when I went through WVU, I, I took advantage of that fifth year. Um, right. it's actually five and a half, but a little, little thing called the Olympics got in the way. <laughs> the dang um, Olympics, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> it's a good trade-off. Um, yeah, so we see, you know, we see folks that have been seniors twice, um, and, and it's just, it's good to see that they're, they're continuing on. Um, but, you know, we, we our, our job is to train military leaders and, you know, the athletics are, you know, a, a character building thing, a, you know, a, a leadership building thing. Um, so, you know, we're, we're performing our mission and turning out second lieutenants for the army to go out and lead soldiers. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Speaking of the cadets, can you walk us through a day in the life of, of the cadets? Kind of when does their day start? What time do they practice? Does everyone practice at the same time? Can you have to kind of talk about that? Sure, you want to take that? Yeah. So they wake up um, roughly around five o'clock in the morning. Um, they have two days of um, ODIA, which is our athletic department, um, lifts a week in the morning at 5.30. And then they'll go to breakfast after that. They'll start their classes around eight um, in the morning. And then they'll have a lunch formation where they all form up, 
they go to lunch, they eat as a team at our team tables. And then they have a couple more classes after lunch and they'll come down here for practice. Uh, we practice from 3.30 to 6, Monday through Friday. Um, and then after practice, they will go and they have dinner and then PMPE, which is- Evening like study time. It's yeah. PM, um, PM academic or whatever. ESP? Evening ESP, studying period? E evening study period, ESP. Yeah, PMP was wrong, but yeah. it's ESP. <laughs> Everything's an acronym here. Yeah. It, I mean, it's it's kind of silly. I'm learning, <laughs> but um, they'll do that, and then taps are eleven during the week and one a.m. on the weekends. Yeah. So, and then some of the other things we sprinkle in there uh, Monday, um, first 30, 45 minutes of practice is working with our sports psychologist, Dr. Nate Zinzer, um, and then our officer representative. The, he's, he's the head of the physics department, um, which which is another thing the service academies have going. Um, there's normally a, like a full colonel who's sort of, he's aligned with the team. He, he's checking out academics, making sure that, you know, all the military standards are made, are met to free the coaches up to, to actually coach. He's kind of looking out for the, the other part of, of the cadet life. Um, but anyway, ours, uh, Colonel John Hartke, who shot here at West Point, uh, class of 1988, um, is the head of the physics department. So he opens up their conference room for study hall uh, for, um, you know, for the team. In the first couple of weeks, everybody goes. Uh, and then um, after that, it's just the, the freshmen that we call plebes. Um, they go until, like, you know, we see that they're, you know, academically stable and everything's going okay. Um, so yesterday we just had the nutritionists come in and we're, we're starting to build kind of a relationship with the nutrition folks. Um, and the only thing I'd add to what Layton said, like breakfast is kind of grab and go. It's, it's kind of, um, you know, it's kind of low key. Lunch is mandatory. Everybody's got to go to the formation. They put out a lot of information there. It's the time when the whole team comes together. They sit at team tables. Um, and then, uh, Dinners kind of come, you know, grab and go or, you know, whatever, however they want to do it. Uh, Thursday night, they normally do a mandatory dinner. And it's kind of like a pep rally for the upcoming football game or whatever's, whatever's going on. So. Well, you guys are answering all of my questions before I can even ask them. So kudos to you. Um, so I was going to ask you guys if your team specifically works with a sports psychologist. So y'all do have one that y'all work with. Yes. Yes. Um, and it's, I mean, Alexander's pretty pretty well known. Um, a lot of experience. Um, our our sports psychology department is called the Center for Enhanced Performance, uh, and it's actually two different things. There's the sports psychology, you know, the, the performance psychology on one side, and then there's the academic assistant side. And literally, like it's a hallway that goes one side of the building is that, and the other one's this. Um, so. You know, Doc Zinder is is real good with, um, you know, just carving out time. Like he does the teamwork uh, on Mondays, um, but he he's got you know pretty open schedule um, to for the cats go and talk one on one to get in the egg chairs. I don't know if, if you've ever seen those, but uh, it's it's a chair that looks like an egg that's just super comfortable and it's got speakers and you can put run affirmations. Yeah. Uh, 
but uh, music, you just catch a quick power nap if you need it. Yeah. Um, you know, That's just awesome. good, good thing to visualize in. Um, and then the other side, the academic side, um, just if we, we try to get all the, all the plebes through their uh, first semester to, to learn things like speed reading, um, prioritization, planning their day, planning their week, um, you know, just really good life schools, you know, the life skills that you need, um, particularly to get through the, you know, kind of the, the fast pace here, but uh, it's, it's also good, you know, for later in life. You know, imagine speed reading. If you could read in a third the time that you normally do, imagine how much more time you have to do things. Imagine how many emails you could actually read a day and comprehend right. everything that is in the email. So switching gears back to the cadets a little bit more, whenever a freshman or a plebe comes onto campus, do you guys provide a new suit for them no matter what? Or do you let them stay? If they just got a suit, new suit recently, do you let them stay in that? And then is there any other gear that is provided to them if they need it? So one thing that we have learned is that when the 17 or 18 year old shows up to that cadet basic training that we talked about a second ago, they're going to put on a lot of muscle and burn some baby fat. So the suit that they come with is probably going to be at the very end of, you know, like their ability to use it. We don't get anybody measured before they go through cadet basic training. We wait till after that. Um, just, you know, for the reasons I just said, like, you know, legs are going to get like two or three inches wider. So like the measurements we take before that just aren't going to work. So then, you know, a week or two after finishing cadet basic training, uh, we get them, we get them sized up. Um, so, you know, the plebes will probably go, you know, the, the, the better part of a semester with what they bring or with the stockpile that we have that we can give them. But when the suit comes in, um, you know, it's, it's it, we, we suit everybody up. Like, you know, they're going to wear our team colors. Um, they're going to wear the black and the gold. Um, lately, it's taken a little while for the suits to come in. I think, you know, we're, we're talking here on what the 4th of November or whatever it is. Um, and we got word that they're going to ship the Kapapi stuff, uh, on the 11th. So, you know, it's, it's been most of the semester that we're waiting for it, but they will get the suits. Um, we've got some affiliation with the army marksmanship unit. So because we are both, you know, army, um, we were able to get some of their stuff that they wanted to get off their inventory. So we got you know, some really good Olympic style rifles that nobody was using um, with, the, you know, reasonably new barrels. Um, you know, we, we had to update the stocks, but we've got a stockpile of stuff. Um, we normally have in the budget tonight to get a new air gun or two during the semester. Um, we've got an inventory to make sure that everybody's got three butt plates and sets of sights and uh, adjustable riser blocks and everything they would need. Um, I, I think we outfit this team better than any other team in the NCAA. Um, and, you know, I, I love tinkering with things. So, you know, sometimes we even make our own stuff. Um, we've got access to uh, some of the machine shops and the mechanical engineering and physics departments. So, 
you know, we, we get them to do some, uh, you know, CNC work and 3D, you know, some printing. 3D printing and yeah. So oh, that is uh, actually, yeah. yeah. Replace some of the cheek pieces on the entry to one stocks with a 3D printed one. That's just a little bit wider because that, that cheek piece just very, it limits you a lot on the left and right movement that you have. Um, but no, I mean, we have everything that they could possibly want or need. And if we don't have it, it's most more than likely we can get it. Yeah. They, um, they tease me sometimes about like too many butt plates and like having trouble. All right, here, try another butt plate. <laughs> you get a butt plate. You get a butt plate. You get a butt plate. Yeah. Everybody gets a butt plate. That's awesome. That is, it's actually, I didn't know that you guys were so affiliated, affiliated with the AMU. And that's, I mean, I guess I kind of understood, but. I didn't know that y'all had such a good relationship and that's really awesome. We actually had George Norton on a couple weeks ago. Um, and so we got to talk to George for a little while and and kind of reminisce between him and I, but it was it was a good conversation about the AMU. Leighton, can you kind of talk to us about when team practices begin, when in the year they begin and when y'all's matches typically start? Yeah, um, so our practices start as soon as we are cleared to start practice. So first day of classes um, in August. And then because the cadets time is just so limited down here, um, we don't start our match schedule until the middle of October. Like our first match this year was October 15th. Or was it the 23rd? It was the 23rd. Yeah, 23rd. yeah we, we went a little bit later this year. Yeah, so we give them a good you know, month, month and a half, almost two months really of training time and before. Um, and part of that is they have to complete the physical stuff like the IOCT, the obstacle course, that's a graduation requirement. They have to take the ACFT. Um, so we'd like to get all of that done before our season really starts because that's very physically demanding on the cadets. And I mean, as you know, having a really hard lift the day before you leave for a competition tends to get your muscles sore, especially if you're hopping on an airplane. So we try to get all of that done beforehand so that while they're in season, they can maintain and not have to hit the weight room quite as hard to prepare for the ACFT. Right. And then, uh, you know, they're, when, when us athletes from civilian schools are able to go and shoot matches everywhere, you know, our guys are doing military training to some extent, you know, they're jumping out of airplanes or um, they're doing academic work. You know, we, we normally have two or three that go overseas. Um, you know, we, we've had, I don't know if you remember Danielle Cuomo, um, yeah. but she went to Tajikistan for like six weeks to submerse herself in the language because that was part of her major. She was learning uh, Persian. So I forget it was Dari or Farsi or something like that. She she went over to just immerse herself in the language. Clayton Hansen uh, went to Vietnam for about three weeks on a State Department thing, um, again, to kind of immerse into the culture and, and, you know, learn, you know, learn what it's like to live in Vietnam, you know, after the war, um, the relationship with the United States and how the economy was working. And I mean, just really, really worthwhile things that go on in the summer. Um, all that to say, yeah. So we, we start a little bit later because we, we just need, you know, an extra week compared to everybody else. Right. It is nice that you still get to start classes or start practice whenever classes start. Um, and I think a lot of practice time is sometimes more important than the matches themselves. Matches are important, but 
going into your spring season, I can see being able to start practices earlier. That's really good. So talking about recruiting, not specific recruits, but when would you guys like to see or hear juniors, junior athletes kind of reach out to you guys and send you kind of shooting resumes? Yeah, so I mean, there's that there's that fine line. They can talk to us all they want. We we aren't able to answer a lot, or the answer is going to be like, you know, what what grade are you in? And sorry, you know, appreciate you know appreciate the the email or the good call or whatever, but we're going to have to wait, you know, until NCAA says that we can talk. Um, but I mean, that's good because you know they're they're showing interest and you know they're they're showing initiative. Um, and, you know, it gives us a chance to kind of keep our eye out on them until, you know, it is okay to talk to them. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, probably, probably sophomore year, we'll, we'll start really looking at, at who's rising up. Um, and then, you know, we're able to contact junior year. Right. They contact us better um, because it puts them on our radar and we can start, you know, looking at how their application process would start to, you know, unfold once we are able to have that communication because it's not like applying to a regular university. There's just a much different process that goes into applying to an academy, a service academy. So the earlier, the better. Can you guys kind of talk about that process? So I think most people are aware that it is a, a lot more lengthy and different than applying to Ole Miss or Memphis. Can y'all kind of talk about how long that process is and kind of what it entails? Yeah, so, um, you know, even before we're able to contact, you know, someone interested here ought to be um, really studying hard and taking ACTs and SATs. So that's that's probably, you know, a sophomore thing that they need to be doing. Um, on the, I think it's the, it'll be like January 15th, I think, of the junior year, they're actually able to start the application. Um, and what that does is it, it's actually an application to go to the summer leadership experience, which is a week-long thing that you can come here and experience West Point, what it's like to be a cadet. Um, you know, it's, it's very uh, heavy in STEM. Um, but, you know, they, they put you through some marching, some PT, uh, get to play with weapon simulators, um, do the obstacle courses, things like that. Um, so that's a week-long thing that you apply for starting in January. Um, but that, that starts the application. Um, you need to be academically qualified. You need to be physically qualified. You need to be medically qualified. And you need to get a nomination um, which, you know, that, that is kind of the tight thing. That's, that's the hardest part of all of it, really. Um, academically is, you know, like your test scores, GPA, uh, ranking class, it's all thrown together into a formula and they give you a score and then that kind of determines um, if you're qualified academically. Um, there is a six event PT test that you have to take called the Cadet Fitness Assessment. Um, where it's push-ups, sit-ups uh, for men, it's pull-ups uh, for women. They can either do pull-ups or the flexed arm hang. 
shuttle run, one mile run, and a basketball throw while kneeling. So, um, and it, it that tests your core strength and your balance and your coordination. Okay, uh, it's not a thing to throw a basketball from your knees. So, um, all these things, you know, they the cadet the the, the you know that the potential recruit needs to be training for and practicing. Um, you know, so that's and, and this is for all the service academies. They all they all do that. So, um, yeah. So academically, physically, medically, um, the army pays for you know a medical assessment. You go get um, get a doctor to to give you a checkup. Um, yeah, and there there are things that can disqualify you medically that uh, that they're going to be looking out for. Um, and then for the nomination, that I mean. It, it's kind of a, you think about the way the constitution is set up a series of checks and balances, um, just kind of the history going through the revolution. Um, they did not want the army to be controlled by like a royal class, the way, way Britain was. Um, so kind of the check and balances, you've got to get a nomination from a congressman, from an elected official uh, to come here. Um, and so, you know, getting to know the congressman and working through all that, you know, is, is probably towards the end of the junior year, culminating, you know, in, in about August, September, when they start doing interviews and deciding who's going to get the nomination. Um, and then, you know, by about Christmas time, those nominations come out. Um, there are other, other ways to get a nomination. If, if your mother or father served in the military for a career, um, you can get a, a presidential nomination. You can apply for a vice president nomination. Uh, certain JROTC programs can give a nomination, but like you've, you, one way or another, you've got to get a nomination to get in here. Um, so those are the big things, and it's it's a very time consuming. You know, it, it's not like filling out a form and you know trying to work through you know the, the student loan. Um, you know, it's. It, it's a process, um, you know, and it probably needs to be started, you know, at the very, I mean, to, so you're not rushed and, and, and jammed up. It needs to be started probably the end of your junior year. Okay. That's really good advice. I didn't realize how long it was. And I mean, I think I knew that you had to get a nomination, but um, I didn't know that it was, like I said, this long of a process. So it's really very informative. So you guys are headed over to Air Force this weekend. And then after that, y'all are going to West Virginia. Is that correct? Yes. Does that, will that conclude y'all's fall season? It will. Um, so during the, you know, the main part of the season, we get uh, 20 hours a week to practice, you know, and that includes workouts and meetings and things like that. So after our trip to uh, Morgantown, we'll go sort of out of season and we'll, we'll cut down to eight hours a week. So there's still training going on. There's still, you know, conditioning, strength training. Um, but, you know, we're, we're going to give everybody a chance to just start getting ready for finals. You know, all the, all the semester projects are going to be due. Um, finals are coming up and we've got, we've got completely different names for all of those. They're not finals for us. They're T's term and exams. Um, the quizzes here are not quizzes, they're WPRs, uh, work progress review or something like that. So, um, there's yeah. a voice talking them. <laughs> yeah. 
different names for all the different classes. We got plebes, yucks, cows, and firsties. Um, and that, I mean, there's there's a whole uh, whole bunch of history back behind that. But yeah, to answer your question, we'll, we'll go to eight eight hour week after WU. Yeah. Then we'll start back up with a twenty hour week first day of class when we get back. Okay. Yeah. Normally, we send anybody who wants to go to Winter Airgun. Um, we historically have had six or seven of our athletes there, which I mean is impressive to be able to provide expenses for all of that uh, them to go and compete. But this year, Winter Airgun is the same weekend as the Army Navy football game, so uh, we are going to let the cadets go and enjoy the football game this year. Yeah, we'll be out recruiting, uh, but. Yeah, they, they just can't miss that experience. That's just so important to the life here as a cadet and, you know, right. just the traditions of um, being a cadet and, and uh, you know, being a graduate later. So for those people that are listening, that is why the cadets uh, from Army will not be at Winter Air. So I'm sure some people will be wondering and asking. They will be at the Army versus Navy game. Go Army, beat Navy. I'm going to have to change that when I talk to Navy, I guess, if I do. It goes so well off your tongue. It's the natural state of things. Okay, guys, to kind of conclude things, will each of you give junior listeners or their parents just one piece of advice moving forward in a recruiting process, whether that be going out into life after high school or after college or going into one of the academies? Okay, so like the biggest piece of advice that I can give is get serious about the SATs or the ACTs early. Um, you know, I, I saw a service that will, will give you some sort of, you know, assessment battery um, to determine which one you do better in. And then if you figure that in, just stick with one of them. We super score. So, you know, just don't, don't switch back and forth between ACT and SAT. Find the one that you're most comfortable with. And just take that one to get your super score as good as possible. Um, so that that's normally what I tell everybody. And it, it it's not just here or just at a service academy. It's everywhere because, you know, the, the financial aid will be driven off your test scores. Um, so no matter where you go, that that's that's super important. So that's that's the that's the pre-college thing that I would say. Um, so, you know, for, for life afterwards, um, you know, you, you got to find a major you're happy with, you got to find some place, you got to find a team with the right culture. Um, you know, and, you know, service academies aren't for everybody, but, you know, I, I think, um, they all turn out, you know, patriotic people who, you know, are, are, uh, I guess, you know, the, the culture is just everything. Um, you know, character, you know, the honor codes that they live by, you know, that's just, that's super important. Um, and going on into life, those, those skills follow you. Um, you, you carry them with them, you carry them with you everywhere you go. So um, you got to find a program that matches, you know, what, what you want out of life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, my piece of advice would be uh, communicate often and communicate early, um, not just with the coaching staff that, you know, you're thinking about potentially 
um, competing for, but the academy or university that you want to go to, the admission staff there, um, and keeping your parents or the parents involved in the conversation. I know a lot of parents don't want to hover their kids and a lot of kids don't want their parents involved in their, uh, you know, recruiting process, but especially at an academy, um, it is a big decision. Um, and parents have different questions than kids have. And the parents' questions are probably almost always more beneficial than the kids' questions. Um, so just keeping that conversation open both ways is super important for recruits to do. Um, and it helps them have a better idea of what's the right fit for them. Um, and then just, you know, being a former student athlete, um, still sticking on the sport, staying, um, you know, present in it. After college, it's really important to, you know, just remember the things that the sport and rifle has taught you, like the values and the discipline and just the time management um, and all of the things that come along with working on your mindset and your mentality and having that growth mindset. Those things are going to help you in your career after college and in anything you choose to do. So just really committing to that wherever you go to school and really buying into that program's culture and what they're teaching off the firing line is going to help way more once you graduate than learning how to shoot a 10 well. One other thing I would add is just don't be stupid on social media. Yep. That's a big one. Yes. I, um, I actually talked to a lot of my, I'm an athletic trainer at a high school and I tell all my student, my student aides, the football players that I work with, like, just don't be stupid on social media. And it sounds so preachy at this point, but I mean, again, every single day an athlete goes through it. An athlete that's 10 years down the road has to make a public apology for something they said 10 years ago. And it's, so again, don't be stupid on social media. That is great advice. <laughs> Well, guys, I have appreciated having you guys on. You have given us so much information about West Point and the academies in general. So thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having Enjoyed us. It. Well, guys, that wraps up another interview with a collegiate coach. I hope that this was informational. It definitely was to me. As always, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Aiming for Tens. And we hope that you guys keep listening. And as always, if you have any questions, please message us on Instagram or Facebook, and we will respond to you probably quicker than you think. See you guys next week.